Hello, everybody, and welcome to another installment of The Crush. I don't, I don't even say the intro to the show like that. I just felt it. Uh, the Crush. Uh, innovation Crush for those who are tuning in for the first time. And if you are doing that, uh, you probably know by now that this show covers all things innovation, creativity, ideas, smart people doing smart things, and the buck does not stop. Um, this is history in the making. Z, hello. <laughs> hey, Welcome back. How's it going? Welcome back for the back again for the first time, kind of. Yeah. Um, I don't even know what episode number you are, but Z Holly, everybody, just pl- please go look that episode up. Z, you're kind of like you. You made the first everything. It's kind of <laughs> like my my the way I look at you. But um, I would love for you to just give a little bit of a reintroduction. Um, as you're re- returning as a guest co-host today. Yeah. Well, last time we talked, we talked a lot about um innovation and. You know, everything from engineering and entrepreneurship and innovation. And I think I was about to start as entrepreneur in residence for Mayor Garcetti. And now I'm launching this new nonprofit initiative for the mayor called Make It in L.A., um, helping inspire. Make it in LA. I know it sounds like that. We oh, can, okay. You know they're not mutually. Which is the fun. That'd be a fun company. I would totally support uh, <laughs> that business. They're not mutually. <laughs> However, we're focusing on making so inspiring entrepreneurs to make and launch their uh, products in LA. And I'm also hosting a new podcast called The Art of Manufacturing. Ah. Yeah. So we're you're having... a good host, actually. I oh, almost felt you. intimidated. I was like, I don't know if I want to bring her to show me up. Like, it was... Oh, it's all good. <laughs> thank you very much. I appreciate it. We have fun. <laughs> um, why Why make in LA? What are What are the benefits to me as a, as a maker to make my stuff Well, here? I think the main thing is that uh, most people don't realize that LA is the largest manufacturing center in the country. Uh, we actually have more jobs, four times as many jobs in manufacturing as in film and television. So, really? Yeah. So people think that we're just about entertainment here. But uh, yeah, so you know, almost half of the, the goods that come in and out of the ports in the United States come through L.A. We have uh, just an amazing industry in aerospace and apparel and food and electronics and all these different things. And the um, entrepreneurial climate is completely booming uh, in tech. And so one of my big passions is to help show that manufacturing is sexy. Manufacturing is sexy. All right. You have to, it'll take, take some convincing. Yeah. But <laughs> but no, that sounds awesome. Um, congratulations on the, on the Thank you. Um, I'm going to turn to my left. Hello. Hi there. Did your hair just get longer? Like, did you just like add hair to your hair? No. Okay. Because it looks longer. Hello, McKenna Walsh. Hi. How are you? I'm great. How are you, good? I'm I'm good. I'm good. Uh, now that Z bought me coffee and you know has returned back to her where she was birthed and and hosting and, and podcasting. <laughs> I was gonna say, should I feel special? Yeah, I, get, no, no, I get two of you guys taking full responsibility for anybody. You inspired me, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> um, how about for starters, uh, a little bit of a 101. Uh, let's go. Let me give you like a 90 second range to tell the McKenna Walsh story. Uh, I hate this. <laughs> you can do it. I know I can you can. Do it. Um, okay, so from Silicon Valley, grew up in a little town called Woodside. Some of you may have heard of it. We're the home of Sand Hill Road. Um, my parents were both in tech. My mom was an amazing engineer. She has a computer science degree, an MBA, a CPA before anybody had any of that combination of things. Wow. My dad, yeah, she's awesome. She would have HP when it was early. Like she's really cool. And then. My dad was a big tech exec. He did a company called Macromedia that you might have heard of. And mm-hmm. he did a company called Flycast. And he was at Businessland in the early days. So he kind of bounced around. And uh, my parents did a really interesting, fun thing, which when they were raising my brother and I, which was include us in everything. 
And so I went to the board meetings with my dad. We traveled around the world. And so I, I've had this really amazing experience kind of growing up and, and getting to do all sorts of things there's no way I should or had any right to do. And so I took that and went off to college back on the East Coast. I went to an all-women's university, which was an interesting experience. Yeah, go girl power. (laughs) I did my undergrad in two and a half years, which was an interesting life choice. Don't know I'd do it again, but it was certainly a decision. Uh, And after that, I ended up in private equity. And so I was at a private equity shop doing business development. And then I came back out to California, took a quick little detour and helped my brother start a brick-and-mortar dog daycare that makes way more money than most people's startups. (laughs) If you guys are having a problem with your company, go start walking dogs. It turns out that's the right answer. And then after that, went to work for a guy named Tim Draper, who I think some of you might have also heard of, done a whole bunch of stuff, been involved at his Draper University, Um, was at a seed fund where he was our main LP, which was a really amazing experience, and then have spent the last little bit kind of kicking around you know, advising a lot of funds, advising a lot of startups, and recently have just launched my first company. So that's been very exciting. So uh-uh. Saga is starting to be out in the wild. We've got some great clients. We're, we're doing some cool stuff. And so we we do this amazing, you know, having fun in AI. And, you know, I've, my co-founders are awesome. Um, time. No, just <laughs> what? Oh. <laughs> what? So I, I love that, that you spend all this time absorbing industry, right? Absolutely. Absorbing tech, absorbing, you know, all the size. And then you said, you know what? I'm going to start something. Um, tell us a little bit more about the artificial intelligence effort that you're yeah, in, the middle, so, in the midst of. Um, basically, I have these two amazing co-founders. One was uh, one of the original guys uh, who did wearables. And the other guy is a guy named Rob Otten, who's a big fancy video game dude. He's won BAFTAs. It's great. He's did Battlefields and Gears of War were games of his. And basically, they, for the last couple of years, had designed and built out a game where they, you know, we're heading, how do you have an elegant solution to your paywall? You know, at some point with freemium games, you got to get people to talk to you and you got to get people to pony it up. And so what they basically created was a chatbot that at some point, and since it was like this completely terrifying, scary spy-based CIA game, <laughs> there was this like computer character you talk to. So it actually, like from a story perspective, made a lot of sense for it to be an AI. And so they built one, and it has a 20% conversion rate for freemium, which for those who aren't particularly into freemium, 2 to 3% is really good. And so after they did that and they built a game that, you know, did very well critically, it did fine kind of monetarily, but they realized what was the most interesting thing they built was this kind of agent that people talked to, and people would talk to it for hours. And eventually it would just wear them down. And, you know, they sort of sat there and went, okay, this is really cool. And so I started talking to them about how do we take that kind of concept and how do we turn that into a platform that people can build out their own characters. And so we are doing stuff and have kind of done stuff in the space from everything from like customer service on Twitter, which is not super sexy, but, you know, 79% of people complain about a brand online, expect a response within an hour. Twitter also denied me my checkmark for verification status. See, I'm not even cool enough to apply, so... It hurt though. I'm not cool enough to get it. I applied and got my heart broken. Like at least you had the pleasure of not even worrying about it. I know my place. I know my lane <laughs> in life. Um, but yeah, so we do everything from that to we do some really cool R and D stuff, and yeah, we we have tons of fun. And so we've kind of been doing the chatbot thing since before chatbots were cool. So it's been a very funny like <laughs> the last six months. I'm like, wait a minute, I'm a cool kid now. This is very weird. <laughs> 
funny uh, that you say that, uh, oh, it's not sexy. There's so much focus on what is sexy, what scales, what, you know, and it's just, there's such a myth that that's I know, am important. S- from an inv- coming from, you know, a harder core finance background and I, you know, fintech has always been my investment passion and I have opinions on ACH payments that will put anyone to sleep. Like <laughs> nobody cares. Um, there's like five of us. And one of the biggest things for me is it's how do you actually make money? And it's great to have growth. It's great to have traction. It's great to have reach. But that only matters insofar as can you actually convert it to dollars? And when you look at the American great companies, the companies that still exist, the GEs, you know, the pillar kind of blue chip stocks, none of them are, you know, they all make money. You look at their balance sheets. They have revenue streams. They do stuff. They build a product and they deliver it and they sell it. And I think when you're sitting there and and you're creating startups, you have to sort of look at, are you building a really successful startup? Are you building something that's going to get bought by a company who's hoping to become a blue chip? Or are you building the next blue chip? And that's a very sort of interesting thing that a lot of founders have kind of gotten a little bit away from. Right. Um, With why, like, why did you choose AI? Right. I would imagine you've seen a lot of things in your life, you know, from robotics to just the hard, more hardcore tech. Like, why was AI the thing that McKenna was like, this is what I'm going to dump my passion into for for at least a period of time? So the first and foremost reason I was into it was my founders. So I met these two guys and I they knocked my socks off and I just went, this is really cool. And this is a team, you know, as a VC, you see a lot of things where you're like, you have a really great idea. You're never going to build it. Or you sit there and go, you guys are really good at building things, but you're never going to have a creative idea. And so finding that team and, and sitting there and going, you guys have a proven track record of being awesome and being at the bleeding edge and delivering that edge was really cool to me. And then when we were sort of sitting there and I was kind of going, one of my big things, and Chris, we've talked about this a little bit, I'm super into charity and I'm really into like good works. And I believe that, you know, you can give back and be successful and and that you should look for things that are kind of the win-wins. And one of the things was when we were going through this, I got really excited about all of the opportunities for things we could build up. So, you know, there's the less sexy customer service bots, but there's also a really cool opportunity when you look at, for example, what um, is one of the big problems with domestic violence is that they have a really hard time building cases because there's not a lot of best practice. There's not a lot of use cases. There's not a lot of great resources. And so one of the biggest factors for if a domestic violence claim or a domestic violence charge is going to stick is how good is the police officer or person walking you through the filing of the thing. Hmm. And that shouldn't be, we shouldn't be dependent on that. And so one of the things that we can kind of do is build best practice characters. And we can say, okay, who is the best person at collecting evidence and making sure that when there's a situation, we can set people up for success and we can automate that. And we can sit there and go, no longer do you have to worry about, do you have access to the right person? You know, if you're getting evicted because you have, you know, you live in a slumlord apartment, right. we can sit there and we can say, okay, what are the best nonprofit practices to manage that for victims and for tenant rights? And say, all right, here's how you document the evidence that your landlord's not fixing things. Here's how you do that. And so it was kind of one of the first companies that I really saw that I was like, okay, I totally know how to make a ton of money with this because turns out customer service support, you know, brands spend money on stuff. Like there's all of these sort of very clear revenue streams. 
but there's also these really cool, we can actually do good things and help mm-hmm. the world and move things forward that were equally cool to me. And I saw a way to marry them all and, and kind of make them all work. So that was, that was what made this me go like, this is super cool. Um, I love it. And, and, you know, I love the, the fact that you can make human interaction more efficient, at least, at least on one side of it. Right. Like in the case of domestic violence and right. it, you know, it can call the best practices. Um, is there, I'm sure there is, and how do you navigate it? Is there a gap between the me being able to look someone in the eyes or pat them on the, you know, just kind of like that human touch element of it? And how, how do you make up for that? There, there absolutely will be. And I think some of it, and, and this kind of goes into a, a more interesting conversation or an interesting tangent of what are artificial intelligence or bots good at and where are they successful? Because a lot of the stuff that you've seen on online right now, like take Poncho, for example, I don't call my mom to ask her the weather in New York in three days. Like, that's not a natural thing for me right. to do because con- like, that's, you hate Poncho. I, I don't hate Poncho. <laughs> I'm sure Poncho is great. He yeah, was very confused by me when I ask him things, but I'm sure he's great. But, you know, you're teaching a behavior. And so one of the things with the bots is they're not the end all be all. They're not going to replace anything. They're not going to take away where you should have a human. What they're really good at is saying things like, it's been 10 days since you filed your complaint. Now you should be going and doing this. And so rather than having it have to be a person to call and remind and follow up, it can be a trigger that says, hey, it's been 10 days since you filed the complaint. Now you're eligible to do this or you need to submit this documentation or that sort of thing. And so when you get that hybrid model, you all of a sudden can go. It's the difference when you you're getting something from a salesperson. The best salespeople in the world, you never call. They call you. But that next tier down where sometimes you have to call them to remind them, the bot can help, you know, kind of add and, you know, augment that level and make them into that next caliber of a person, if that makes sense. And so that's where I think you're, we're going to see some really cool stuff coming from bots. This actually reminds me of uh, Institute for Creative Technologies at USC. They have these amazing technologies with virtual humans and AI and they actually create these virtual humans that they use for social work applications. Yeah. And people, let's say the families of mm-hmm. servicemen and women, they want to figure out, you know, do, do I need help? What should I do? They feel much more comfortable sometimes talking to these virtual humans. And they actually look like people. Right. Animated. Um, it's pretty interesting. Well, and one of the great ones is also with kids. You know, you can have it. There, there's the times where kids don't want to tell an adult because they're worried about it being something. Whereas, you know, they'll they'll talk to you know a teddy bear, <laughs> and and so it's a very interesting sort of stuff where technology is only as good as the social engineer who decided how to deploy it. Mm. And I think that's one of the things that that we frequently and I will throw the valley under the bus that we, we kind of forget. You know, we we build great technology and we assume that it's going to do well because it is great technology without sort of taking into account, it has to also be really useful. And so what is the point of it? What problem is it going to solve? Is the problem it's solving an actual problem? You know, the number of times that, especially, and I'm sure both of you could relate to this, you get pitched something and you're like, how many people a day actually have that problem? You know, right. and you sit there and go, what? <laughs> speaking of speaking of dog walking, have you seen that new product where it's like it's a it's a cam in the side of your on your wall at home and you can. Oh, you interact with your dog, uh, with your pet, dog uh, and... pet 
I forget. Pet cube. As, there's a pet cube, and then there's yeah. another one. As as the token crazy dog person, that's a problem for me. <laughs> I, I'll throw myself under that bus right now, and everyone knows that my dog's the love of my life. They actually had a they so. had a they had a promo video, and it's you know it's a pretty cool sizzle reel. But at one point, the pet owner is at the park and talking to the dog, and I'm sure the dog is like, "Wait, why are you at the park <laughs> without me?" Like, like Pokemon Go. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Um, so you, you know, as a kid, you got to travel the world. Um, you spent some time in the valley, and you're here. And I think this is kind of on your territory. Z is why did you, you know, settle in L.A. You know why? Wait, don't wh- use the word settle. Oh, uh, uh, no, I meant settle like settlers. Like <laughs> this is this is home, not settle for L.A. Right? Settle okay. in it. I went back to like the 1800s. Yeah. Um, 1634. Did you oxen die crossing the river? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I don't know where you where your people from. What 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 river um, did they cross? I, what's a river? <laughs> I was gonna say, are you guys missing the Oregon Trail joke that I'm making? Woo! Yeah, yeah I did. Uh, mm, I should just hang my head and shake. No, Oregon Trail. That's it's a, it's viable humor for the show. It's it, some... I, I feel like there's a, it, it's a certain generation, but I'm in that generation where you know Oregon Trail was like that was the best day ever in fourth grade. Nice. <laughs> that was like you knew the sub was gonna be a good sub. <laughs> They're like just go play Oregon Trail, and your oxen would die on the river, and people would get cholera, and you were just like this is what all right. Yeah, different school. There, I, I grew up in Detroit, and there was no there's no talk of the Oregon Trail. <laughs> <laughs> No, but like what what was it, you know, after you decide to sort of start the McKenna Walsh brand, if you will, um, what was it that attracted you to the to the city? Is that better phrasing? Attracted you to the city? Sure. Okay, thank you. Yeah, so I was and you know, you'll have to forgive me for being needing to be reformed. I was vehemently anti LA for years. I was just not particularly even gonna ever consider it. Went back east, you know, lived in Chicago, which is an amazing city. I would move back to Chicago tomorrow. I love L.A., but Chicago, spectacular. Um, but I had basically just gotten super burned out. Um, and, you know, it's it's one of the things that we kind of don't talk about a ton in Silicon Valley, but it's a grind. And my father had actually died. And so my dad died of a heart attack at 60. He died surfing, doing what he loved. But, you know, he surfed three times a day, was a certified yoga instructor, and Wow. Literally died on a five eight board, and I riding a wave that was over his head, and I kind of had this big moment where the first year afterwards I was like, I'm fine. I you know I just got in the fund. I was like, no, I'm totally fine. I can handle it all. You guys are ridiculous for even asking me if I would ever possibly not be okay. And I would could like because I had never hit something that I wasn't smart enough or couldn't work hard enough to get through. And that was this really interesting experience for me because it was the first time where it just didn't matter. Uh, there was no being smart enough to get around it. Right. And it wasn't like I could work harder and get around it either. It's kind of one of those great leveling realities where you sit there and you're like, I cannot do anything about this. So all I get to do is change my perspective. So for the first nine months, I was not enrolled in that concept. And I was like, I'm going to work through it. Um did it pretty well. And, you know, a lot of people were sitting there like, yeah, you're killing it. And about nine months afterwards, I kind of like just hit this wall and I went, I'm exhausted. Yeah. I'm, you know, I've been working, you know, one of the things that people don't talk about with venture is venture ends up being like a hundred hour a week job because you're always at something, you know, you get up, you're always at an event. There's always something you're always having drinks, dinner, coffee. And I was to the point where I would go home and my Saturday nights were reading business plans like by myself in a hot tub with my dog. 
you know, like that, that's the way I was. And I just, I couldn't do it anymore. Yeah. And I just couldn't do it. And so I needed a break and I had an, um, I produced an art show with this amazing woman named Robin Swicord, who's won a bunch of fancy stuff. She's a big deal in LA. And she, you know, was the first person to be like, just come to LA, try something different. And so after about four months of her just being like, please, will you just come stay with me? I have this amazing place in Santa Monica. I said, yes. And I, I just went, you know what? I'm going to try it. And so I came down here and spent some time and started coming down and went, you know what? This is doable. And this is different. And it's close enough to home that when I you know, need to run home to see my mom and my stepmom, I can hop in the car and go. I can get on a flight. But it was also far enough away from the grind and far enough away from some of the, just the culture of Silicon Valley that I was particularly interested in getting away from. And I got to make some different life choices, which was great. That's awesome. What uh, do your friends back home think? So I have finally <laughs> stopped receiving the are you ready to stop ruining your life and your career text messages that I literally got for a solid year. <laughs> and now they're saying, can I crash on your couch? Shockingly, <laughs> none of those. <laughs> the, the Silicon Valley Kool-Aid is very strong. Yeah. You know, and the overwhelming majority of people have been like, why would you do that? And I'm like, because I'm doing this weird thing called being happy, which is a very strange concept. But I'm, I'm trying it and we're getting there. And I was going to add, like, Z, what have you seen as, like, being similar attractors to the city? Because, that, that, I mean, that's a very emotional draw, right? That, right. You know, and then there's the, the practicality, even, like, you building, uh, you know, uh, you make in L.A., you, you know, your your AI company. But, like, what other attractors have you seen sort of that draw people to the city, whether it's McKenna on the tech side or a little bit more fashion and, and that kind of manufacturing. Yeah, I mean, I actually grew up here and then I moved back 10 years ago, but I was a hater too. I was like, I'm never going to go back. And then I realized it was all sour grapes. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and people were saying, why are you moving back? And now over the last few years, I definitely find that people are saying uh, that they just, they want to move here. They love it here. And a lot of it is the diversity and the, just the creative energy here. And um, yeah, it's, it's definitely, there's a, there's been a sea change over the last few years. So maybe not among your friends, but I'm definitely hearing I'm not um people are telling me when I go up to Silicon Valley, it used to be that oh I hate I hate LA. Now it's like, you know, you and then it became don't tell my friends, but I kind of like it. And now they're like, you know what? I'm thinking of moving. <laughs> <laughs> I think that happens. Like, I mean, I was I was one of those people who did a taste test. Like, I came out for a week, and then I came out for a month, and I was like, eh, I may as well stay. Um, and it, you know, but I love this fact that there's such an like I don't know, like an emotional transition story for you being here. Yeah, well, and one of the other things that, that I really have found, you know. L.A. plays a very different game than San Francisco or New York, for example. And so, like, New York, everybody plays the game and everybody wants, like, everybody's, and everybody's super honest about it. Like, if in New York someone does not think you're going to help them with their stuff, they'll just be like, yeah, you seem nice, but I don't have a use for you. So we're not going to be friends. But cool. You know, that's what we're doing. Whereas in San Francisco, it's this idea of they'll insist they're not playing the game till they're blue in the face. And if you, but everybody's playing. You just can't get caught. Whereas L.A. has this really cool collaborative culture, especially in tech, and everyone is kind of sitting there and they sort of recognize that they're, you know, they're the little rascals team and they're going to have to work together. And we kind of get to help each other and pull each other up and, and make it all happen. And so that's been a very cool, you know, collaboration to kind of start, you know, seeing it and to get to help build. And so that's been really fun. So that's one of the other big reasons I stayed. Um. 
Thank you. Uh, I'm, thank you for the photos, Josh. <laughs> no, um, I, I like this fact that, you know, um, you have so many diverse perspectives from, you know, from being raised in this environment to having worked in the capital side to now having been an entrepreneur, um, to having a dog, you know, dog, <laughs> dog business. Um, I'm curious as to what is the the core of McKenna? Like what, you know, what's the thread that ties you all together and, and all the variations or iterations of, of yourself? I mean, the quote everybody always tells me is the Alice in Wonderland quote, which is too much muchness. And I think that tends to be pretty true across the board. I'm a lot to handle. Um, <laughs> I've, I've made a career and a life of doing things that entertain me. And I've been really lucky that that's something that I, I could do. And everything that I've done, I've sort of sat there and gone, if this doesn't go well, is it going to be a good story? It will, I guess, will I learn something? I've, you know, and, and that is one of the great privileges was I didn't have to worry about, you know, paying for college or, or doing that sort of stuff because of where I am from. And so I got to sit there and go, what's going to be interesting? What's going to be an unusual choice? And, and am I going to be entertained? And so, you know, when I when I was thinking about coming down to L.A., the decision I basically sort of thought out was, all right, everybody's telling me not to do this. But if I do it, worst case, it'll be three months. I'll hate it. It'll be funny. I'll get to call my network and go, hey, guys, remember that thing you told me not to do when I did it anyways? You're totally right. Can I come home now? <laughs> and usually people love to hear they're right. So I was sort of banking on the fact that they would be like, you know, I, I'd get to live it down for six months, but it'd be fine and people would forget about it and somebody else would do something dumb sooner or later. So I, th I think it's that kind of idea of just do things that are interesting, do things that are going to entertain yourself and, and do things that aren't expected of you. You had this job title at one point called Risk Master. Oh, yes. Tim Tim loves fun titles. What is, what is a Risk Master? It sounds like a board game. That's, I was like, I want to play that, but then I realized... We have really, really awesome shirts. I, I should have worn one for you. Um, yeah, so... Tim Draper, for everybody who doesn't know, has this awesome program called Draper University where he bought a hotel in San Mateo and basically has been experimenting with this idea of how do you teach entrepreneurship? Right now, the way most entrepreneurship is taught is you go get an MBA from a very expensive school and hopefully it works out. And it turns out if you go to a top five program, it, it's actually a pretty good investment. It turns out if you don't go to a top five program, it's actually not a pretty good investment. So... And there's some really interesting numbers around that. And so his whole idea was, how do you kind of condense that down into an eight-week bite-sized sort of chunk and then recognize that people are either kind of going to go that route or they're not? So I worked for him at the program. And rather than having staff or anything like that, he calls everybody who works on his staff as a risk master. So we all did various different and assorted stuff. But... That, that is the title. And so I, I still help out with their, we do a survival weekend retreat, which is all sorts of fun. So I'm still involved in, and still go help teach leadership and survival skills in the woods. It's great. There's a lot of emphasis on entrepreneurship education early on now, which was not the case about 10 years ago. Do you think that's a good thing? Probably not. And I think one of the things that we do a disservice in many regards as a society we tend to be big bandwagon people and we sort of come up with what we think is cool and trendy and then it's like how do we fit everybody onto this one thing 
And so, you know, it, it's been before it was being an entrepreneur, it was STEM education. How do we make everybody an engineer? And the reality of that is not everybody should be an engineer. There's plenty of people where that's not their best talents and their best gifts. And I think the focus that I like to think about is how does anyone who wants to be any individual thing have the ability and is set up for success to do that? And so I think taking kids who are super entrepreneurial and that's what's going to make them happy, how do we give them access to that without making the kids who that's not what they want out of life? You know, how do we have it both be a fine option? Being an entrepreneur is brutal. One of the things that Silicon Valley does not talk about is the mental health tolls and the number of, you know, just poor coping mechanisms, the number of suicides, the number of that sort of stuff from the entrepreneurial community because it is, and it's, it's the same with being an actor or an actress. It's getting rejected all day long. It's getting told your idea is stupid. You're dumb. That thing you've spent six months on is never going to be a thing. And if you're lucky, you spend years hearing that and then years later you get to prove people right or wrong. And that's one of the things that not everybody wants that for their life. And and so pushing that on kids it just doesn't seem like the healthiest choice to me. Interesting, because the whole millennial generation supposedly is grow grow up with everyone gets a medal and then now all of a sudden they're being thrown into entrepreneurship (laughs) (laughs) and it's true which which is perhaps the worst preparation for entrepreneurship is you know this idea that you're going to be successful at everything and i um i think it was aaron levy from box had a great quote of you know it was amazing how long the four years leading up to his overnight success were. Yep. I, and I mean, it, I'm, I'm butchering it terribly, but he's like, it was a really long four years that apparently became a day. They, you know, we, we're not preparing people for, and we're not being really honest about, yeah, it's, it's brutal. Like there, there's, you will cry. You will cry a lot. <laughs> you will be sad panda. But I think, uh, you know, it's funny because it be, because I'm a parent, right? And I have, a, we, we talked about this before yeah. and I have an 11 year old and this kind of ties us all together because you guys both went to all girls school. So my daughter is going to LA's first all girls STEM school. California's uh, first. Yes. Yeah, California's first whole first one state of state of California. So uh, everyone from every government organization came out to the opening last week. But, um, you know, I, my goal as a parent is to not necessarily force her down the path of STEM, but to at least expose her to that world. Right. K through five was general Absolutely. education. Like, all right, let's do some extracurricular activities. What are we going to do this summer? And then like, hey, get exposed to this stuff and maybe even a different style of learning, which is, you know, very hands on and experiential, I hope. Um, but, you know, and. I think those life skills that you talk about, whether it's grit or seeking happiness outside of what you're, you know, that thing you're focused on all the, all day long, you know, I'm trying to prepare her for the, like, it's the parental duty to prepare for the life skills. Well, and I think exposure is important. I think you never know what you're going to like or what's going to work for you until you try it. So That's why I- Z has naked in LA. <laughs> oh, shoot. Yeah, yeah. No, keep I, laughing. That was great. That was can that. I make the joke that it should probably be naked in the valley if we're really going to go there? <laughs> that little too. All right, exposure and kids. Not very good topic on the show. Continue. <laughs> so, so going back to now, I've lost my train of thought. I mean, I it was going to be so eloquent. And no, you said exposure is a good thing. So exposure. Exposure is a good thing. And and so having, and there's no one in my experience who having a really good understanding of critical thought hasn't served them. 
even if you don't want to be an entrepreneur, understanding risk management, understanding critical engineering processes, things like that, it's always useful. It's just setting kids up with the expectation that that is the only way to go is probably not doing them all a service. Right. So I, for me, I, you know, you should totally build robots and then you should have to go act and you should have to do improv and you should be uncomfortable and, and do stuff that's out of your box. And, but I think it's having both of those, you know, don't give up Shakespeare for robots as much as I love robots. Or build a Shakespeare robot. That's true. You could do that. Idea well, just happened. We just formed a, We just formed a business. She's creating AI. Yeah, we True. we we literally do build Shakespeare kind of robots. Um, but Chris is making fun of me for building actual like drive around tank robots. Uh. So I I, was, <laughs> I ran a robotics education program for NASA for a while, and so we we mentored a bunch of high school kids, and we built like 150 pound rovers in six weeks, and they're awesome, and you know, so we do a lot with yay actual manufactured robots. Um, you guys both went to girl schools. I would love to hear you talk about it. And I, I'm curious as to how it was when you went to school versus kind of like we just talked about this focus on STEM and engineering and things like that. You know, what did you find that was missing before in your educations? Um, or, you know, or what did you love about it that you kind of want to see change or stay the same in the future? Well, it, in my case, it was, uh, it was the best school around, actually. It was Westlake, which now is Harvard-Westlake, ironically. So it's, it's co-ed, sadly. But um, for college, it was hardly all girls. I went to MIT. So yeah. it was sort of the two ends of the <laughs> The opposite end. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I don't have super strong opinions about it one way or another. But I do think that it helps you not be distracted. And I also think that, um, oh, this is a complex topic. I think that it's, <laughs> yeah. I think that, uh, you know, it's been said that the, Boys tend to get more attention when they're disruptive in class, and then the girls don't tend to speak up, and um, and then they don't get as much confidence. Now, that said, I was discouraged. I hate to say this. I was actually discouraged from doing the AP physics, uh, chemistry, biology classes because they thought that those I was going to do them all at one time, like AP calculus, all that, and I... It was thanks to my mother that she said, why, why, are, why don't you try? You're, you're good at these things. And their perception, because most girls in the school were not good at the science and the math. And so I think I was probably the first student to go to MIT afterwards. And mm. I per- persevered. I'm like, you know what? I will take the, all those AP classes. And they tried to encourage me instead to take AP English, which makes no, absolutely no sense because I'm not good at English. So even within the all-girls school, I felt that there was a little bit of a sort of, I don't know, Perception. I, no, I, I agree. So I'm one of the big, so I ended up at an all girls university because quite frankly, I didn't get into any of my top choices and they offered me the biggest scholarship. And I said, if I can't go where I want, then I'm not paying for it. <laughs> so it, it wasn't like there was a, a, which is pretty much how all my life choices end up going is the, well, this is a funny thing. Um, One of the things that I think we, again, do a disservice to girls and, it, and it's a little bit what Z was talking about we kind of have this idea of what we think girls are and we don't realize that there's almost no other other than gender lines. We would never categorize 50% of the population and say, all of you fit in this narrow band the way that we do based on gender. And, you know, so for me, I, I went to co-ed sort of stuff and I have never had a problem having an opinion nor saying it out loud. That that, that is, surprises me. I know it is. You did say you were a little not much to handle. What'd you say? Yeah, I'm, <laughs> not I'm, too much to handle. I'm, as the South would say, I can be a treat. 
Um, right. And so for me, the idea that I needed to not have men in the room in order to stand up and assert myself, it, that that's just, it never occurred to me. I didn't realize that was a thing until somebody said, said it to me like the, oh, it's so great. You don't worry about there being boys. And I, I remember kind of sitting there and going, why would that, why would I care? I mean, I, I didn't get it. I was like, oh, that's right. You think because I'm a girl, I'm insecure and I can't do that stuff. And that's always been, you know, kind of one of the things. And so when at the robot, a NASA, we had an all boys team and an all girls team and we would sit in meetings and go, you know, and we ran the two teams very differently. And I would constantly be told, you can't be hard on the girls. The girls, girls don't respond well to that. And I would sit there and I would go, I'm fine with you saying that's not what we want to do. I'm fine with you saying most girls. I'm fine with you saying some girls. But you can't sit there and tell me that I can't take pressure because I do. And so when you sit there and you make these unilateral statements of we're not, girls don't, whatever it is, whether it's a good or bad thing, you basically have said, well, either you're not a girl or there's something wrong with you. And so for me, that was kind of been one of this really interesting experiences that I sort of ran into a lot in the women's only education with where I went. And so this kind of idea of there was this idea of what girls do. And then I'm like out on the right tail of the bell curve sitting there like, well, now what? Like, am I, I'm either not a girl or you're wrong. And I don't know how to like communicate that. And so I've spent a lot of, you know, my life and a lot of my career professionally, especially working in finance, having to explain to people that not every girl is that narrow little band and that we can all have a different response and that, you know. I'm curious, do you participate in all women oriented things usually? So, no. For a long time, I have had a ban on I won't speak at any event that has women in the panel. So if if women is in the title of the event or the panel, I won't talk. And the reason for that was if the most relevant contribution I have to make is my gender, I shouldn't be on the panel. That I should, you know, and that's kind of been one of my things. And I've sort of backed off that a little bit lately because I do think we get to create a supportive environment. And I do think there's not a lot of mentorship and a lot of opportunities and a lot of just quite frankly network, you know, that we're giving. But I... I have spent most of my career working with men. I've, you know, there's there's not a lot of women in private equity. There's not a lot of women in venture capital. You know, TechCrunch came out with that thing at 8%. You know, we're not doing great. And so I've I've spent most of my career in a boys club and, and haven't particularly sought out that. But it's also one where now I'm starting to sit there and go, okay, you know, what are the groups that can help each other? How can we kind of bring everybody up and, you know, there's this kind of idea of how do we both for, as minorities and women turn tech and turn venture capital into a team sport? You know, we've been playing it individually and some people are killing it. And, you know, congratulations to the Michael Jordans of venture. You know, Michael Jordan doesn't need a team. You can put Michael Jordan by himself and he's going right. to be Michael Jordan. <laughs> but there's a lot of people in the NBA who need a team, you know, and they win a lot of games, but they can't do it by themselves. And, I think one of the things that's kind of an interesting thing that I've I've sort of been kicking around over the last couple of years is how do we make venture a team sport, especially for women and minorities? And how do we make tech a team sport? So what do we do to kind of be resources? That's awesome. Yeah. 
No, I, I mean it's, it's it's funny. There are there are so many efforts to on, on the idea of inclusion, right. right? And you know, it was kind of similarly to to what you guys both. First of all, I'm taking my daughter out of the school now. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, but no, like I, you know, I had a chance to go to you know uh, uh, historically black colleges and universities, and part of even me at like 17, I was like, well the world's not black, right? Like I, I may as well figure out how to navigate through it now, you know? And I had, like, I went through a phase with a racist roommate, like, you know, not like oh overtly God. racist, but he was just like a dick, right? <laughs> Good old casual Southern where you just sort of like, oh. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. But it, it, I would rather go through that at, you know, 18 than be 25 and be like shocked by it because my experience has only been with my peers, right? Whether it's ethnically or gender related or any of those things. So I think that's, I mean, it's, it's, but then at the same time, you know, I'm a black man and, and kind of like, notice. Yeah, no, I didn't <laughs> notice either. I just found out a couple of days ago. Um, there's a, a I, you, you guys saw my Maury episode. It was like, when it comes to little Chris, you are the father. And I was like, oh, that's my dad. Um, <laughs> grown, I was the first grown man to be the baby picture on the uh, on the Maury screen. Uh, <laughs> sorry. I now forgot where I was. No. <laughs> no, and I, I, just, I just feel like you, when you mentioned that 8% of women's presence in your industry, it's the same thing. It's like, I think me doing what I do is a good example and a good roadmap for people who look like me and talk like me and, you know, come from where I come from. And I, I give back or give period when the opportunity arises. But, you know, for the most part, I try to make my conversation on par with, you know, whomever else you look at as an example in the innovation ecosystem, right? Yeah. It's uh, as as opposed to coming in and being the minority representative of you know this enti- like the entire industry. It's it's a tough tough. Yeah, part. I mean, I think that there's a lot of pressure, you know, in that in that area. Like when you're you feel like you're representing the whole gender or the whole race or the whole group. Well, yeah, and I, I mean, it's it's always one where you can kind of sit there and you have to go is it this one individual's problem or is it something they represent? Mm. And, you know, and that that's just an interesting, I love studies. So it's it's one of the studies, they did this fascinating one on women's personalities and their performance reviews in Silicon Valley. And so what they did was they took, uh, they had everybody voluntarily send in their performance reviews and then they threw out anyone that was negative. So, you know, people who worked at Google, Facebook, that sort of stuff, who were by their boss's metrics, good at their jobs. And it was something like about 8% of the managers who were male had, you know, some kind of fundamental personality, like they were rude, they were too demanding, they were that sort of stuff. And it was some absolutely terrible. And it was like, it was, I think almost 80% of the women did. So 80% of the women who were good at their job had some fundamental, they were too bossy, they were too demanding, they were too whatever. And, you know, you kind of sit there and go, all right, well, I'm going to, that math just doesn't make sense. You know, if you're good at your job, how is it that this is true unless we're trying to put everybody in the same box? I think it's just going to it's going to get a little worse before it gets better, though. You know, and a lot of it's just having the representation, having the role models. And because when people think it happens so often, if I'm curating an event, for example, um, and I ask somebody, oh, I'd like to have a speaker in this area. It's one man after another, one white man after another that people recommend. And then I go, oh, and how about somebody who's of color or a woman? And when they think about it, then all of a sudden those ideas start coming too. So I think yeah. that we just have these prototypes in our brains that just really uh, we need to fix that. And it's about exposure, I think. Well, 
I think and this is definitely true for women. We don't tend to do a great job of taking credit. And a lot of it comes from, you know, when you're a little girl, it's all about, you know, and you watch the Disney movies. It's the support role. It's the, you know, you're you're being this idea of being demure. You know, you shouldn't ever a lady never takes credit. It should be given. She should do such a great job that it's accolades are laid upon her because there's no other option. And so, you know, one of the things that I sort of struggle with is this idea of actually sort of standing up and going, no, I, I have some things to contribute and I am worthy and deserve to contribute and, and people actually care about that. And I think I've talked to a lot of other, you know, kind of females executives and other CEOs and VCs who sort of have that same kind of complex where we sit there and we just don't think we're that special. We kind of sit there and go, how are we the best? Like, isn't there somebody more qualified well, to I put think, forward? I think, I think here's the thing. And you kind of uncovered this for me, Z, a, a while ago. And it's when people ask me, like, oh, what's some of the common themes that come up on your show? And I, and I think this is like the general innovators rule, right, is that innovation is a lonely journey. Because you see the world, you see a problem, you see a solution that nobody else sees, and then you're going off and doing that. Like you mentioned earlier, you, you, it's like being an actor. You're you're not going to make it. It's dumb. Why are you doing that? And you have this conviction, you know, regardless of your personal history, your ethnic background, all that stuff that your you know your thinking is is right and so you need to tackle that and i think that's where to me that's where the that's the unifying element it's right. just it's lonely regardless so um but as you've been so insightful um i know you you advise a lot of startups um um i'd like to i don't know kind of dive into the breadth of things that you advise them on because you've got the financial and the mechanics down, but then there's the heart side of all the stuff that we just talked about and the resiliency and the life skills, the soft skills that you need. Um, What, you know, what are some of the common themes that you help course correct companies on? So the, the biggest one that I would say I spend the overwhelming majority of my time on is product fit and market validation. So, you know, there's a, fundamental sort of misunderstanding of like, if I ask you if you have a problem, humans are conditioned to not want to show pain. You know, that's something that in the wild, the wounded animal gets eaten by the lion. Like that's a pretty basic sort of thing. And so if I ask you, you know, would you do something though? Everybody likes to think we would do something. You ask how many people want to go skydiving. Everybody's like, yeah, I would totally, I am that kind of person. And then you're like, all right, we're going tomorrow. Uh, There's not so many of them. And so, you know, when you're, you're looking at product fit, and validation people sit there and they go around and ask, would you use this? And it turns out that's not a very good question. And the better question is, how many times a week do you have the problem? Because then you're going to get, if anything, a negatively skewed answer. And nobody's ever been mad because people use their product too much. Like that's that's not the problem you're going to have. Right. And so one of the big sort of things that I, I really like to focus on is perspective. And it's how do you sort of shift and focus and bend things around to look at things from an angle to discover things you're not thinking about. And so that's that's the number one sort of thing that I I always yeah nail people on. That's awesome. Yeah, because I, I mean, even part of my tattoo is uh, says change the way you look at things, and the things you look at will begin to change. Right. And I think you you know as entrepreneurs, you spend so much time, and and I think any sort of problem solve an entrepreneur, a CMO, you like yeah. you spend so much time focused on. A problem like you, you know, you don't walk to the other side of the room to look at it from a different angle or 
walk away from it altogether for a second. Just to, like I, re- I read a script I wrote like three years ago th- uh, this morning. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is great. And then I started making edits because I was like, it was such a fresh perspective. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, let's hmm, let's switch this up. And it just became a whole new, not a whole new thing, but it was improved. Right? Yeah. So, um, but enough about me. <laughs> There's never enough about you, Chris. Um, as the show is called Innovation Crush, um, yes. uh, I'm sure you're aware of that by now. Um, Say it one more time. Innovation Crush. And Z? Innovation Crush. Awesome. What's the name of your show? The Art of Manufacturing. Um, yeah. Enough about you. Yeah. Hey, that's not my fault. <laughs> <laughs> no, what have, you, what have you seen out in the world right now that you are personally crushing on? We've talked about charity. Ooh. We've talked about artificial intelligence. We've talked about equality. Um, this has been a deep show, I feel like. This, uh, yes. is, this is heavy. Uh, I, you were expecting to be entertained. You were <laughs> exactly. sorely disappointed. I'm sorry for everybody who wanted to have fun today. I need a cocktail. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I so. thought there were shots provided. Um what am I crashing on? So big overarching kind of, I, I wrote something for, that got published in Forbes on this a while ago. Um, so super into the AI chatbot space. I think that's really exciting. I think the future of AR and VR is really interesting. And I think the, and specifically in AR and VR, I'm really excited about the control loops. So when you think about immersive experiences or integrated experiences for uh, AR, how you're going to interface and control those experiences is really exciting. And so whether it's sensors, there's an incredible company called Somaxis. They have a device that can take an EKG from your shoulder, which has never been done before. It's reusable. It's absolutely incredible. But when you think about from a game designer, incorporating things like an EKG, all of a sudden... As a game designer, you're not saying send in five zombies. You're saying the person playing the scary games should have this heart rate. And if their heart rate hasn't hit the point that you is that they're not having that experience you want, more zombies or more spiders or whatever it is, you know, and, and you can take that input and then and create a much richer experience. So that's that's something that I'm really I, I love what people are working on. Um, super randomly, I'm super in love with some of the kind of up and coming faces in venture. There's some really cool people that are, are starting to get prominence. There's a great guy named Ryan Smith who works for magic Johnson. Who's doing a lot of cool stuff. Uh, there's a kid named Patrick Matheson who works at Toba capital and they do enterprise SaaS, but he writes a ton and you know, he's just spot on, you know, and right. you sit there and he's just got a great point of view. He's super cool. Um, there's women like Elise who, who was at March and now she thinks she's running the Parsons fashion tech accelerator. Um, she's just, you know, awesome. And, and it's just different backgrounds and perspectives and, and that sort of stuff. Um, robots are always cool. Uh, I love robotics. That's the quote for the show. Robots are always cool. Yeah. I mean, how, how, how can here. you, yeah, that, that can be the title. <laughs> Actually, I preferred more zombies. I was going to say more zombie spiders. Like we just combine them together. <laughs> zombie spiders. Um, God, what else? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I think there's a lot of really sort of interesting, I mean, there's, there's so much cool stuff. And then as far as in the charity world, you know, I'll shout out music for relief that I support, which is the band Lincoln Park. Everybody's favorite, you know, yes. alt rock. I don't even know what they would be called. Um, they have this amazing charity that does a lot with disaster relief. And so we've been 
thrown some great events and and they've been doing some really awesome stuff. And this is their ten year anniversary last year, and it was like yeah, a, and a big deal. and they go to China and they sell at stadiums all the time. I mean, it is amazing. And as a group of guys that they're sitting there and they're really people who are using one of my big crushes is people who are using their influence to do stuff. Right. You know, like it's it's cool. You have ten million followers. What are you doing with it? Yeah. Other than making yourself money, and if you can make yourself money and help people, I think it's awesome. So that's a big crush of mine. Um, is there anything that sticks with you um, that comes from your dad? Oh God, you're trying to make me cry. Um, there's a ton. So the first one would be uh, he always used to tell me to be kind, and that wasn't inherently. In relation to anyone, that could be be kind to myself, be kind to the people around me. But that if you genuinely sort of came from this place where you were trying to do good, that, you know, the universe and karma and, and that sort of stuff would, would come back. Um, the other one was working hard. My dad would always be the one to say that he made more mistakes than anybody he knew. And he certainly made a lot of mistakes. And he, yeah. he really did. But he never gave up. He was always trying and working his ass off and, and doing something different. Um, and then kind of the last one was sort of the importance of relationships and family. Um, so I've, I'm still incredibly close with my stepmom. Mm. So I just got back from her 60th birthday, which was awesome. And, you know, my brother and I, like my stepbrother's getting married. Like we, we're still a family. And you know, it's it's this whole thing of my father made his love for my stepbrothers and my stepmom and, and my brother and I so, and even my mom, um, so incredibly clear that, you know, it was really easy to kind of respect his wishes. And, you know, it, it was about the doing the right thing. So for me, I mean, he raised me to be the type of person where it's like, if my father was still alive, I would call my stepmom all the time because that's what he would want. And I would go to Christmas at their house because that's what he would want. And so the fact that he's not still there shouldn't matter. I know what he would want. I know what the right thing is. I can do it. And it's an easy thing for me to do. It's it's easy to call her. It's easy to, you know, have people who love you in your life. And so actually following through and going and and doing the right thing and figuring out how to make it work and and being committed but not attached, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So those were were some of the big. That's great. Yeah, and you turned out amazing. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm I'm gonna steal all that stuff. I'm, I'm gonna I, be kind to you guys from for the I, rest of the show. I'm, I'm gonna send this to my mom, and she's gonna cry. My sister's gonna <laughs> cry. It's gonna be great. And then, yeah. yeah, tears are good. No, it's it's fun. Um, I'm I have one last thing for you. But Z, do you have, you do you got you got one you want to throw in there? Are you? No, I'm good. Are you good? good You're gonna cry too. <laughs> Just see, see for, the glasses the coming record, off. For the record, I did get Chris a little teary on that last little bit. Yeah, yeah, I was, I, yeah, <laughs> I welled up a little bit. Really well. No, I do have a question actually. Where does your conf- confidence come from? To be brutally honest, it's an eight. My mother always said I was neither particularly eager to please nor easy to bully, which took two important tools out of a parent's arsenal. <laughs> which is pretty true. I mean, I've I've always been an independent little thing. Like I. I'm just kind of am what I am, and I think it's being comfortable in your own skin. Um, one of the things, and that's not to say I don't have plenty of crazy buttons that everybody, am, everyone in my life who listened to me say that last sentence is going to be like, that's very funny that you just said that. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to be like, you're nuts. Um, 
but it it's kind of you know it comes from you know it's gonna be what it's gonna be does it come from success or from failures it doesn't come from either it comes from acceptance and so i'm i'm a big fan of the stoics so seneca has all of these great quotes about you know sort of what the greatest misery that humans give themselves is anticipation of either good or bad and it's kind of when you're just genuinely in the moment and happy with with kind of what it is that that that's enough and so for me there's this great quote you know it's about doing your best every day and hoping that on any given day it's good enough and that kind of idea that if if you can say you did your best and it didn't work out that's okay I mean what else were you supposed to do and if on most days you did your best and on most days it's working out your general trend line is a good thing and so I I like to think that with my life my trend line's pretty good I think I've made a ton of mistakes there's a lot of people that you know, I certainly would love to go back and fix things with and, you know, have done something differently. There's certainly companies I wish I'd invested in. There's companies I wish I joined. Um, but at the same moment in time, you sort of sit there and go, did I, did I do the best I knew how? And if I did the best I knew how, then as long as I learned something, that's all I can kind of walk away with. So. Well, thank you for giving us your best today. <laughs> um, as we close, I'd like to... I'd like for you to complete a phrase for me. Oh, get it. Innovation to me is. Oh. Innovation to me is perspective. So I think it's without understanding what you're looking at and what the fundamental problem and where you can improve there isn't going to be innovation. You can do a lot of stuff and it's just busy work and you're just moving. That doesn't move anything forward. And I think the the whole goal of innovation is improvement. And so when you really understand your problem and you really understand your addressables and your deliverables and how you're trying to achieve success, I think that's when you get real innovation. And right. that's where you get really breakthrough exciting technology. It's awesome. Um, where can people find you? Not your home address, but like you, like <laughs> online. I, I thought I had to Where are you going to next? I was going to say, <laughs> to be honest, on my sofa with like the dog watching Netflix and working, I write on Quora way too much. Um, where can people find me? So, By the I'm, way, has anybody watched Stranger Things yet? I got Speaking like of Netflix, one Josh, episode. Josh has watched it. Look at him. He's, he's, <laughs> it, yeah, it was great. I, I got, yeah, I'm not, I'm not a huge TV girl. I like books. I'm a weird, like I'm a nerd. TV is just books in motion. They're too slow. <laughs> uh, see, I think books are too slow. Like, I, I, I mean, I read a lot, but I still, I usually fall asleep. <laughs> I read faster than I can watch TV. Um, so, yeah, you can find me um, on Twitter. I think most of my handles are M-E-W underscore 128. Um, it's easy. Yeah, it, it is. It's my initials. <laughs> it's a random number that I don't even know, but now it's just a thing. I write on Quora a ton. So if, if people want to read various and assorted opinions of mine that I've I've written and people occasionally publish, that's usually a pretty good place to I find. I get the feeling you have a lot of opinions. Yeah, I, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I do have I do have opinions. Um, yeah, so I I would say Twitter is is good. I'm not the best about using it, but it's one of my things I get to work on. So you know what? Let's go with Twitter, and you guys can all help me actually use Twitter. There it is. Boom.
All right, everybody. This has been another installment of Innovation Crush. Thank you. Please follow me on my new Facebook page. I just launched a Facebook page like three years later. Just now? Yeah. I'm only one man. Um, just Innovation Crush. Just Google it. Where's your Snapchat? See, that's what I'm saying. It's just it's too much stuff to do. Only have I have one hand. It, what about know. the Pinterest? Yeah, what about it? Um, <laughs> Shots fired. Shots fired. Anyway, thank you guys. We will talk to you next time.